Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. So we lived, uh, you know, we lived in Indonesia for about 14 years. And, you know, in the U.S. we say time is money. And in Indonesia they say alon alon osakalakong, which means everything in its time. So we got there and, you know, just I was stunned with just how slow people could move. <clears throat> we would go to a mall and people are enjoying the mall. They're just, it's air conditioned. Indonesia's right on the equator. It's very hot. So they're just strolling in the mall. You're just kind of looking around. <clears throat> they're, uh, when it rains, they hate getting rained on. So in Indonesia, uh, if it rains, you'll see most people driving motorcycles. They'll pull their motorcycle off the road and under an overpass and just wait for the rain to stop. Just kind of wait there. And you're talking to people, and you say, everything's just a little slower. And <clears throat> when it got there, a veteran missionary said, hey, Mike, Never try to do more than three things in a day in Indonesia because you're only going to get frustrated. And I was like, no, 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 we're not, that's crazy, no. And I didn't know what he meant until the first time I went to pay my water bill. And we lived in a city of about 300,000 people. And the only way to pay your water bill was to go to this water bill place and just stand in line. And there were like two lockets open at the front. And uh, like, I had a thought waiting for hours in that line to pay my water bill that I had many times over the years, there's got to be a more efficient way to do this, right? As Americans, like, we like efficiency. We want things done on time. And for me, going to the mall, like, I want to go to the mall, find my item, item, bag it, and get home. And they're just, you know, like, smiling, looking. And so it was always okay until they got to the escalator. And then they would kind of, I could kind of go around them, you know, until we got to the escalator. And then I was like, oh, i got to wait because there's just like, Slow moving. <clears throat> so for me, it was like a slow, painful death of a type A personality <laughs> for years. A slow, painful death. I'm kind of a, if you know the Myers-Briggs, the J and the P scale, I'm kind of the J, I like deadlines. And, and uh, I was in a hurry to get there. I mean, you know, I went to World Mandate and in college, and I was like, I'm going to the nations. I mean, if, if they had a, a helicopter after the Saturday night session, I would have jumped on and been like, let's deploy, let's go. I'm ready, go to the nations. So, you know, seven years later, after graduating, we got to the nations, and I was like, we're in the nations, this is it, this is awesome. And then we're just kind of grinding through language learning. And it was so slow, and I thought, why was I in such a hurry to get here? But God did something of just uh, understanding about time. And what I want to do today is I'm going to kind of look at how we think of time and our culture's view of time and heaven's culture on time. <clears throat> There's chronos is a Greek concept for time. Chronos is like tick, tick, tick of the clock. There's another concept in Greek called kairos. Kairos is this beautiful word of like the opportune moment, like the fullness of time. So when I got to Indonesia, I judged Indonesians for being lazy because, man, they're not multitasking. I mean, you get to a verse in Ephesians, uh, like Ephesians 5, 
Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. I mean, multitask, get it done. I mean, I'm the guy at the stoplight pulling my phone out and checking an email at the stoplight, not when I'm driving, okay? So, but that verse, time in this verse is not tick, 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 chronos. It's the fullness of time, kairos. And the Indonesians got that. And I would get frustrated because I wanted to get more done, and I never could. I was like kind of running in molasses trying to get more done. And like, for instance, in Indonesia, when a guest comes to your house, you say, uh, tamu adala raja, which means the guest is king. You stop everything when the guest comes. And the guest doesn't call you and say they're coming. The reason is because they think, oh, if if I tell him coming, He's going to have to make a meal. She's going to have to make a meal. I don't want to be, but I'll just show up. So you're getting it done. I'm mean, trying to get it done. And then someone comes to the gate, and you stop everything, literally. And you have a room in your house where you sit down and, and give snacks to people. And you're there for like 20 or 30 minutes. And so I'm frustrated because of Kronos, but it's a win for Kairos. Being in the moment with someone, saying, okay, maybe I'm not getting everything done, but I can be in this moment together with this person. And maybe I am making the most of my time. So we're going to do some clockwork today, some heart work, how you view time and what God might be doing in a season in your life right now. We're going to zoom out and look at the Kairos lens of heaven on the season that you're in right now. But before we do that, we're going to do a review and I have a door prize uh, for the person who can give me, we've done three Bible characters the last three weeks. Who's the first one who can give me all three? Go. You get a door prize. Sarah. Esther, Ananias, and Noah. Give her a hand. Come on up. This is a book. This is a door prize and a shameless book plug called Growing Desperate. I'm going to refer to this later. It says, Sarah, it doesn't say your name, but it just says, to the best sermon listener at Antioch, Austin. Congrats. Thank you, yes. So J.D. opened up with the life of Esther. And what did Uncle Mordecai tell her? For such a time as this, and to press into the purposes of God for your life. To not think, well, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here, but like just pressing in. Next week, J.D. talked about Ananias. He was called to preach or share the gospel to this really bad dude named Saul, and he wasn't sure if that was going to be a safe thing or not, but he said yes, and we never know what's on the other side of our yes, guys. You never know when you're saying yes to something. God's going to light your feet on fire and set you on an adventure. You just don't know. You just have to say yes. And then Liz last week talked about Noah, right? 59 years grinding it out as a carpenter, building this boat, not understanding everything that was going to happen. And sometimes uh, there's this mundane middle that we walk through. And God's in that. God, I don't know any shortcuts. If you want to be ruler of much, you have to be faithful in little. That's a spiritual principle. You just, you're faithful, you're faithful, you're faithful, and then God increases. I don't know shortcuts uh, for that. So today we're going to look at another guy. It's, it's, it's kind of a, this is not illegal. It's, it's sort of a Christmas story, but we can talk about it this month, okay? And it's, 
If you open your Bible, or some of you have ancient scrolling on your smartphone, for uh, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read a story about a guy named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. This is like the prequel story of Christmas. And the reason we're looking at this is because these guys had some heart-deadening disappointments in their life. And some of you are in a place right now of just some disappointments, and you kind of feel like, God, have you forgotten me? And, and again, I want to zoom out, and we're going to look at what might God be doing in your heart in this season. Okay, so let's start with verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old. Now, to our 21st century ears, this is kind of like white noise. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. When does the story start? But there's a lot here, and I just want to unpack it for a second. First of all, politically, this is a really tough time for Israel. Okay, so Israel at this time is, is, being, run, is, is being overrun by the Roman Empire. They're like under the Roman Empire. And this guy, Herod, is the king. And Herod's a really paranoid guy. Later in this book, he's going to kill a whole a village of little boys because he thought the Messiah was coming from Bethlehem, which, which did. And he was trying to eliminate that threat. He also killed his own sons. He killed his wives. When he was suspected that there was some sort of treachery afoot, there was a saying in this time that it's safer to be a pig in the house of Herod than one of his wives. So you're talking a really paranoid king, and they don't like to begin. They don't like being under Roman rule. Okay, culturally they don't have any kids, and in this kind of the pre-scientific age, they're they're not. Uh, uh, you know, there there is a, a cultural shame of not having kids, and so it, there's a personal disappointment for sure. They want to have kids, but like people are whispering about. It. I'm like, what's wrong with Zechariah and Elizabeth? I mean, I thought they're good people, but no kids. It's kind of like that in Indonesia. People say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have kids? There's a cultural pressure to have kids, okay? So there's this political environment. There's this personal disappointment. There's this cultural shame. And then we get to this next part. This next, there's a pretty good day in his life here. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is a really cool deal because... He's a part of the Levitical priesthood, so you've got Abraham, uh, you know, and had had uh, J- uh, had Isaac, had Jacob. Jacob had twelve sons. One of them is Levi. Levi's great great grandson's guy named Aaron. Moses' sidekick. Moses writes the law, and this tribe of Levites is supposed to be in charge of the temple. But by this time in, in Israel's history, there's about twenty thousand or so Levitical priests in Jerusalem. Okay, there's a lot. So. For them to do a small portion of work, they had to draw lots. And, and they drew a lot, kind of like, you know, like uh, it, it was a way God would choose these different jobs. And one of the jobs would be like prepare the, uh, sprinkle the altar with blood. And then one job would be to, um, you know, get the incense ready. And then the really cool job was to like go before God and worship. So this could have been the only time in Zechariah's life he ever did this. This is kind of a big deal, and his community is excited about it. You know, this is the temple where the name of God lives, and their understanding is a big deal, so they're all out there worshiping. He goes in. He's a little scared. It's kind of scary, you know, holy God, and am I going to do something wrong? But he, he does his duty, and then it gets better. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. 
as people often do when they see angels. So when you think of an angel, don't think of a chubby baby, okay? A host is not a choir. A host is an army, okay? So angels are like these fearful beings of light, and just when every time they see, they all, every time someone sees one, they always say, do not be afraid. So he's like, whoa, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Okay. Cool. God has heard your prayers. And John, Johanan means uh, the gift of God. It's he, from the Hebrew. It's the gift of God. You're getting the gift of God. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. I just realized that I've been wearing this and don't need it, right, because I'm holding this. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So that's cool because he's going to be one of these special guys, uh, this Nazarite vow. Samson had a Nazarite vow. He didn't really finish well with that one, but he started number six, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his womb. Like, are you kidding me? See, in that time, like, the prophets, the Spirit would come on them and they would prophesy. You're talking about the Holy Spirit being in someone? Are you kidding me? This keeps getting better. In the womb, he's going to be filled with the Spirit. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready people prepared for the Lord. All right, this is getting crazy now. Because we have been waiting as the people of Israel for 400 years for the Messiah to come. These Romans are taking over our country, and the Messiah is going to rise up. He's going to make everything right, finally. But before he comes, Elijah is going to come, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And so they thought the prophet Elijah was literally going to raise from the dead. And he quotes the last chapter, the last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, chapter 5. The angel quotes this verse. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So this is the opposite of the curse. This is the blessing. John is the gift of God. Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers. It's been 400 years, but the Messiah is coming. This is amazing, you guys. Let's say you're a, hard war, a hardcore Star Wars fan. This is better than the first trailer drops. This is better than you got tickets to opening night. This is better than you get to go to the world premiere and you're going to sit between, you know, Mark Hamill and Daisy Ridley at the premiere. This is you're going to be in the next Star Wars movie. You're going to hold a lightsaber. So Zachariah's like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be part of this epic story. So he starts doing backflips out of the temple. He gets with his peeps. He's like, you guys are not going to believe what happened to me. My son is going to be the, spirit, the power of Elijah. He's going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And they're like, yeah. And then you hear this. That didn't really happen. You just hear this. Wah, wah. <clears throat> that didn't happen. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. You say, what? And, and Gabriel's like, what? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent 
and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. The angel puts him in timeout. Sometimes you got to put your kids in timeout. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had had a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth said that. What did Zechariah say? He didn't say anything. He couldn't talk, remember? Okay. So what's going on? And, and we don't understand, uh, like, how many years. We don't really, like, how many years. They were well advanced in years. They were praying for a baby. They were praying for a baby. God, we're trying to do your will. We don't understand. This is confusing. I don't understand. And by the time the answer came, that disappointment had hardened into disbelief. And he couldn't, he couldn't hear it. He, he couldn't receive it. And for some of you, you're kind of going through the motions, but there's a heart of disappointment that's just crippling you. And it, it crossed over into just some really unhealthy things like, like disbelief, like drivenness. <clears throat> I talked about uh, our story a little bit in Indonesia. Um. We, you know, we moved there. We got pregnant the first year. We're so excited. We had two kids at the time. And our, our third child, such a cute boy, little blue-eyed, really long eyelashes. The Indonesians just loved him. There's actually an Indonesian word uh, that means something is so cute that you got to squeeze it. It's called gemus. And we'd be walking around, and people go, gemus, gemus, gemus. They just always want to squeeze. He's so cute, so chubby, so cute. Well, he was a delight. And then as he got older, one, two, he didn't really talk much, didn't really say much. And we thought, well, you know, he's, he's hearing the English every day, the national language of Indonesian, and then he's hearing, um, you know, uh, the local dialect of Javanese. He'll sort it out later. Other kids growing up in cross-cultural situations, it's the same thing. But by two, getting on three, he's only got like ten words. And there was some things about him, he's not here by the way, uh, that were kind of a little strange. Like, he would want to eat ice cream, but the texture was kind of bothered him, and so he would kind of, uh, he'd want to eat it, and it just repulsed him at the same time. He would take all the books off the bookshelf and just look at the pages and put it down and go to the next book, like, ritually. He could just spend an hour at the bookshelf. Just he, um, if he got excited, he would just, or scared, he flapped his hands, and he got scared a lot. There were things that were in, intense for him, we would take him to the haircut. It was like taking him to the torture chamber. I mean, he hated his haircut, getting his haircut. The saddest thing was he uh, just wasn't talking. We say, Jordan, how was your day? He'd just stare at you. It's like, what's going on in that cute little head? We don't know. So we had a pediatrician on our team, and she said, you know, the next time you guys are in the U.S., you really need to get his hearing checked. I think there's something here. Uh, you know, he's really delayed. Got his hearing checked. He's okay. And then we start, and Steph's going like, something's wrong with Jordan. I'm like, no, he's fine. Something's wrong with Jordan. I'm, it's, you know, if any of you are parents of special needs kids, I get it. Denial is a much easier place to live in. <laughs> it's like, okay, no, 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 it's, everything's fine. And I was like, no, everything's fine. And somebody's like, I know my son, something's wrong. So then we're, 
We're taking him to specialists. And I remember the day we go to an office here in Austin and we sit down with the doctor and this word came out of her mouth that split the air and broke my heart in two. And the word was autism. Your son has autism. And we just left that office. And I just remember going down the hallway. I just, I could barely walk. And it's like this new, our son has autism. And there's this new reality in our life of our son having autism. And, and we had some really good friends who had some special needs kids. And we called them and we said, hey, guys, we just got the diagnosis. And they said, hey, y'all just need to take some time. You just need to grieve this. Don't, don't listen to people right now telling you, you know, hey, you're going to lick this. It's going to be great. Just go let your heart mourn. And they gave us the permission to just kind of take our disappointment to God. And we did. We actually went on a sad vacation. We went to um, SeaWorld. Our little kids were like, Shamu! And mom and dad, yeah, there's Shamu! Now, the other thing that was going on, so, so we came off the field for this medical furlough. We didn't know if we were going to go back. And I was confused, like, God, I thought you called us to Indonesia, and you're not healing my son. What's going on here? Well, at the same time this was happening, behind the scenes, our marriage was not in a good place. We were fighting a lot. We were to the point where, you know, all, all couples have arguments, but to the point where it's affecting our kids, and they're just kind of wincing as mom and dad are kind of going at it and slamming doors, and one of us leaves, and there's just, and so uh, sometimes you, you need to have people in your life who know your stuff, guys, and they said, Mike, you got to get counseling, and I was like, great, we'll get counseling. Stephanie's going to get fixed. Yes. That's, this is good. So first counseling appointment, we go there, and man, I just unloaded on her. I just said, you know what I think? And I just kind of said, Bleh. And there was this drivenness in me. There was this unhealthy. The, the difference between uh, a calling and drivenness, this is a concept from Gordon McDonald's book uh, called um, Ordering Your Private World, is drivenness is like this thing behind you pushing you. you got to prove something to somebody. You're going in the same direction, but you're driven. Like, I'm not enough. It's a, some lie that's just pushing you. Calling is like God is calling you forward into his purpose. It's peace. So Philippians 4, 5 is like, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That wasn't me. I was, now, I want, I want you to have drive, but you can have drive and not be driven, okay? I was driven. I mean, if Stephanie said, I'm having a hard time, I was like, too bad. You don't hear me complaining. Go have a longer quiet time. I mean, that is what strong people do. And so I can remember having arguments, you know, like I remember our newlywed year, you know, I, I, we got this thing at the church where it's like seven weeks of uh, like a uh, spiritual gifts class and she didn't want to go to one of them. And I was like, that's not an option. Like we've got to go to all seven. So there's something driving you like, what's going on? Why, is that, why do I feel pushed so hard from behind? And the guy mentoring me, I called him on the phone, like back when the phone was still attached to the wall. And I called him and I said, hey, Mark. It's got Mark Buckner. It's like, Stephanie won't come out of the bathroom. What do I do? Like, what do I say to get her to open the door so we can go to church and do this thing? And he's like, why don't you stay home tonight? Just shocking. What? So there was this drivenness of like, you know, just keep going. 
Don't let anything stop you. And I just wasn't being tender to her until the second counseling appointment where this very godly counselor just said, Mike, I just see, man, your heart is in a bad place. You've got a lot of unmet needs, and I don't know what. God wants to do something. And I just started bawling. I mean, and I almost had like an emotional breakdown. I, mean, I cried for like two weeks every day. Stephanie thought, what has gotten into my husband? I'm looking at her and saying, I'm so sorry I didn't see you. Please forgive me. I'm just crying because of all of my drivenness that was just driving over her. So Jordan's going through his autism, and we're figuring that out, and then God's doing a work in my marriage. And you know what happened, guys? I thought I was on the bench, but I was on the operating table. God was doing open-heart surgery. Some of you are protecting yourself with low expectations, you know, And God wants you to be expecting. He wants you to go from protecting to expecting. And the way to have zeal for the long haul, guys, it's to have a whole heart. You can't drive your way to zeal in God's purposes. You you might be able to, like, really grit your teeth and make it through a season. But if you want to go season to season to season, you've got to say, Oh, God, okay, I'm on the operating table. This isn't a bench. Some of you are on the operating table right now, and to stop squirming off and just saying, all right, I'm a living sacrifice. Here I am. This is holy and pleasing to you. This season of my life is confusing, and I want to get this out. And I had a lot of work to do. I had to forgive my dad. I had to really do some really deep work. But when I got back to Indonesia, there was a new song in my heart. It was like Zachariah. When we come back to the story, this song just burst out of him. This prophetic song. And I think he had a a lot of time to think. I mean, he was the go-to religious guy. People coming in for answers. He's got to be quiet for like nine months. And at the end of that season, it wasn't a forever season. This prophetic song just burst out of him. And the only way I know when you have disappointments, and we all have them, I wish I could promise you, look, you serve God you're, nothing bad's going to happen to you. Like, if you go to the mission field, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. So, I mean, we came back for two, over two years. By the way, Jordan's doing great now. I, I'm, I mean, it's this mystery of, like, mourning, you know, gr- mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. On the mourn side, uh, you know, we just needed to air out our disappointments. We needed to be like David and pour our complaint out to God. <clears throat> On the rejoice with those who rejoice side, he's doing great. He's at another church this morning, drove himself. He's in middle school ministry. He talks all the time. He's a really good arguer now at 17 years old. And uh, he's, he's, I mean, I really believe he is being healed. And I pray for him to be healed. But even in that, I can bring my disappointment to God. And that's what I want you guys to do. Because I want you to be zealous. I want you to be the fire shoes guys who tackle Austin who tackle the nations, but you can't do it without a whole heart. You can't do it unless you ask God, come into these places of grief. Yes, you've got to forgive dad. You've got to forgive that guy. It's hard. It's hard, guys. You've got to take them off of your hook and put them on God's hook. And that is extremely hard. That's why you need a life group. You need people to walk with you. But God wants you guys to be whole. He loves you so much more than you could possibly know. When you woke up this morning, he's like, yes, she's awake. I've been waiting all night. I just want to love her. 
And we want to come this morning to the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians, it says, chapter 1, He's the Father of mercy. He's the God of all comfort. We receive comfort for Him so that we can comfort those in any kind of affliction with the comfort we've received from God. We cannot help this hurting world, guys, unless we have some comfort. So I want you to stand up right now. And I want to pray comfort over these places. I want that new song that burst out of Zechariah to come out of your heart. And, you know, they did this several times at World Mandate this weekend, but they asked people to come forward. And I just want to pray. And, and even if you're on the prayer team, this is for you too. You, we can have other people pray for you. I just want you to come and just bring that disappointment to God. Some of you are in this season. If you don't know, am I in the Monday middle? What's going on here? I just There's been a delay in the prayer. God wants to heal your heart. I'm just going to ask you to come forward right now. And we just want to pray over you. There's no shame in this. This church should be the safest place on the planet. It's a place we come with our brokenness. It's a hospital. It's a hospital and it's an army. We get healed up. We bring our broken heart. I needed to cry for two weeks. I came back to Indonesia. I had so much more compassion. I'd see a burn victim or a little kid on the corner. I just wanted to cry. I wrote a whole book about desperate people because I are one. I'm a desperate person. And you are too. So there's no shame in just saying, I need some comfort. So that's all we're going to pray for this part of the service. So just come forward. And we just want to pray for you. Just come on right now. Sometimes it's good just to move. Just to say, Lord, I'm bringing my grief to you. I'm bringing this place of disappointment to you. The person who owes you an apology hasn't apologized yet. The breakthrough in business hasn't come. They should have said, I love you, and they never said it. The relationship ended. The, the dream died. I feel like for some of you, there's this been death of a vision. And I think before God can put the new vision in your heart, He wants to heal the place of the old, that scar from the vision dying. So just come up front right now. Anyone else, just come. We're just going to pray. And then, again, if you're on the prayer team, come on up. And then to, to get prayer or to come up and to pray for these guys, just lay hands on them. Just pray, Father of mercy and God of all comfort. Father of mercy, God of all comfort. All these disappointments.